Let's get things going on this Tuesday. It is October 3rd, 2023. It's Steinberg and Logo with you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Hi, Logo. What's going on? Hi, Patrick. How are you? Um, that's, uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Happy it's birthday, to- officially. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, happy uh, belated birthday to Logan as well. Oh, thank you. You just, uh, you just hit the big 3-0 like four days ago. Apparently. So happy belated to Logo as oh, well. Oh, thank you. Um, well, Matt Coronado's having a heck of a training camp, hey? Not bad. Had another really strong Monday as our Flames Talk post game was titled on Monday. Matt Coronado strikes again because uh, he did. That was a heck of a game for Matt Coronado. So he finishes with the game-winning goal and a couple of assists. And we've been saying all summer, he's got a really good chance of making this team out of camp. And I don't think that's changed with what we've seen the last couple of weeks here. I thought he had a little dip in that game Friday against other, uh, against Edmonton. But otherwise, I think we're talking about a really, really strong camp for Matt Coronado. And he was really strong in that 5-4 win over Winnipeg on Monday night. It's been... It's been a really positive story for them, and he is beyond in line for making the team. I think that at this point, you know, if you came into camp thinking he was going to make the team, I think you're feeling pretty good about him making the team. And if you came into camp saying he's got to prove to you that he needs to make the team, I think you're feeling pretty good about him making the team because I think he has either proved you right or he has hit all of the things you'd want to see a rookie hit to kind of prove to you that he belongs in the NHL. Yeah, I'm not really sure what else there is for a guy like Matt Coronado to to do at this level. There kind of was a guided path, I think, for him to be an NHLer this year, Pat. We've talked about his skill set, and for so long we've talked about how it fits a need for the Calgary Flames, that right shot, scoring depth, you know, in the top nine, top six area for sure. And it was almost table set for him to be there when it was all said and done. But it sure makes your life a lot easier if you're Ryan Husker or Craig Conroy and he's gone out and had the kind of training camp he's had. Nobody's had nothing, anything but good things to say about him, whether it's teammates talking about how respectful he is, how much learning he wants to do. Ryan Husker talks about this is a kid that's very easy to coach, very easy to approach with, with new ideas and ways to make his game better. And he's done everything the Calgary Flames could have asked him up to this point. I really don't know what else he would have to show to, to show you that he's ready for a chance at the NHL. This was Ryan Huska on Monday following a 5-4 win over the Winnipeg Jets. He wants to make a team, right? Like, if you watch him away from pucks when he doesn't have it, how hard he works to try to get it back, that's why he's had success. So he's been like a, a dog on a bone, and, and he is hunting things hard. And, um, you know, we've talked about a shot before, too. That's a... He gets it away quickly and it's hard. I think he's, I'm assuming that goaltenders probably don't know he can shoot like he can yet. That'll change here shortly, but um, he's done a really good job for himself. The next two games are going to be interesting. That is something to watch for because for the first time 
I think we're going to be seeing him play high-end NHL lineups. So this, yeah. the, the next two games in Edmonton and in Vancouver, you're going to see McDavid, I think. You're going to see Dreisaitl. You're going to see Elias Pettersson. You're going to see JT Miller, Quinn Hughes, Darnell Nurse. Like We're going to be seeing the top players on either side because for Edmonton and for Vancouver, these are their last some of their last preseason games. So they're not, now they're starting to ramp up. So their lineups are going to look similar to what Calgary's looked like on Monday. So that's the next test for Matt Coronado. But I don't think anything that happens in the next two games, A, I don't think it's going to look bad enough that you're going to be like, oh, no, he does not belong on this team, A. And B, I, I just think that he's done enough to this point to put himself on the roster for opening day. I don't know how I don't know how you could argue that Matt shouldn't be on this roster and in this lineup to start the season. The question then becomes, what happens then? Because the regular season's a different step. Even what we see on Wednesday and Friday in these last two preseason games can't truly mimic an NHL regular season game. The intensity just takes that next step. So then, does it go Dubé Brody? And what I mean by that is guys who had great camps, made the team, but then when the regular season hit, they tailed off a little bit and eventually went down to the American League. They both are full-time NHLers now, but it took them, it, it wasn't immediate. Or is it Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk, Sean Monaghan, who were very good in camp, made the team out of camp, and then stuck in the NHL and remained productive as rookies? That That's the next thing that remains to be seen. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to watch, Pat, too, because for me, the biggest question becomes, and it was already something that uh, was asked of Matthew yesterday following the game, was how are you feeling? You've played a lot of hockey. Going from an NCAA schedule to an NHL schedule, given how busy he's been with Penticton, all of the games he's played in the preseason, and now asking him to play 82 regular season games, I wonder how that's going to go for him because it's a big ask. He hasn't had like some of his counterparts at this you know rookie level for the Flames. They haven't had a season of pro. He hasn't had a season of pro hockey, and that NCAA schedule is not nearly as grinding as an NHL schedule can be. And I'm not even sure that it's going to be something that Matthew can control. Like, I think if it was obviously up to him, he would play at his absolute best with as much energy as possible every single night. But I just don't know how your body adapts to that sort of change. I think you can you can plan for it as best you can. I'm sure he got as much advice uh, from the Flames strength and conditioning staff uh, going back to last season when he came up here for a couple of weeks and played in that one NHL game, you know, how to prepare your body like a pro and how to get there. That, to me, is going to be the biggest question. I, I think his style of play is suited for the NHL, and I'm with you. I don't think he's, he can do anything else to this point to prove that he's been an NHLer, but I am curious that jump directly from NCAA scheduling to NHL, if that's the, the only thing that's going to, at some point, catch up to him. And, and I, think, I think it will be a challenge for him. And I think he has already faced the first challenge, because I thought that Friday game, which was his seventh game in two weeks, He's never played a schedule at this no. level like that before. Um, I thought he dipped a little bit. Then he had the weekend off, and he came back like a house on fire on Monday, and he was great. And we'll see how he plays and how many of the next two games he plays. Does he play both? Does he play one? And then he gets a little bit of a rest. But I, I think it's some even junior players who are used to playing more of a pro-like schedule yep. hit the wall sometimes. So I, I think that'll happen for him. And, and you know what? 
Dylan Dubé had a great camp in 2018. Dylan Dubé was dynamite that year, and he stayed up in the NHL for the first half of the NHL season and then got sent back to, at that time, the Stockton Heat. And that's fine if it happens for Coronado. And I'm not even saying it's going to happen for nope. him. He could very well stay in the NHL all year long. In fact, if I were be a, to be a betting man, I think he will. But if he does, that's fine. It's all start part of the process. And prospects develop at different rates. But all you can do, and we talked about this in the intermission on Monday night. We were talking about Rizicka, who we'll get to in a couple of minutes. But all you can do if you're Matt Coronado is check off the immediate boxes and do the things that you can control. He can't control what happens in the regular season on October 3rd. He can only control making the team to start the regular season, and then he can start to tackle playing his first pro schedule and playing in the NHL full-time. And it'll have its challenges. It'll have its peaks and valleys. He'll have his growing pains because that's what happens with young players. But you got to give the tip of the hat to what he's done so far in camp. He has... We we talked about all summer long coming into this camp, there is a ready-made spot for him, a spot on a number two power play unit and a spot as a scoring threat with a right shot off the right wing. And he has recognized that opportunity. And to this point, he has done everything in his power to seize that opportunity. And good on him. I give the guy a lot of credit because not everybody is able to do that. Not everybody goes to their first camp and and does it sometimes it takes a little bit longer and after two years in college and one pro game in april matt coronado's come to his first full nhl camp and and done really good things so far and i'm i'm excited i'm excited to see where he slots in on october 11th and i'm excited to see how much of an impact he can make right from the get-go because i'm i'm going under the assumption he's on the team i'm I'm penning him in on my roster. He's been there since the beginning, and that's not changing now. No, I I frankly don't know what he would have to look like in the last game or two of the preseason to knock himself off of that pedestal of, of making the NHL roster, given the injuries they have and given how well he's played. I, I don't want to downplay that in any way, shape, or form, but also given the fact that the Flames are down a couple of guys on the forward group, it sure feels like there's a spot for him. And, and yeah, I think he's really... The thing that I've, I've been impressed by, Pat, is he's taking it all in stride, right? Whether it was coming into the prospect camp in Penticton, coming into his first few days of training camp, he had that big game against Vancouver, but he didn't sit there and go, okay, well, I've made the team. I, I had a huge game against Vancouver, or the B squad of Vancouver, whatever you want to call it. I, I, I've, I've made my point, and here I, here I go, I can coach through the rest of training camp. He's taken every opportunity as a challenge, and understands that every time he goes out there, it's an opportunity to continue making his case as to why he should be on the NHL team when the roster is finalized by this group. And again, you said it perfectly. It was the same with our Ruzicka conversation. Control what you can control. And there's no point in looking forward to the regular season or setting expectations or going through any of that because for him, it's the here and now that matters. And he's nailed every... Challenge that's been in front of him so far. Uh, somebody texted in at 96960 says, Love Coronado, but any concerns with his skating as the season wears on? Um, you know, the do I have concerns with it? Not particularly. I don't think Matt Coronado will ever be an elite NHL skater. That's just not that's just not what his attributes are. But I think he's smart enough and has a good enough IQ and battles hard enough so that 
it's I, I don't think it'll be something that's a big time detriment for him. And the two the two comparisons that I've heard for him that I really like, neither of these guys were high end NHL skaters either. So Craig Conroy, when he joined us a couple of weeks ago in Penticton, made the comparison to Mike Camilleri. He said, I see a lot of I yeah, I see a lot of I see a lot of Camilleri yeah, Patty. Uh, and, and I, I hope he can do that. He just looks like number thirteen out there, Patty. So I think that's a great comparison. As soon as Craig could said do worse. It, absolutely. <laughs> and as soon as Craig said it, I said, huh, yeah, that's going to be tough to unsee. Similar size profiles, similar skaters. Like Mike Camilleri was by no means a burner, nope. but he put himself in good spots in the offensive zone, had a great release, a great shot, and was very, very smart in positioning himself. Made it easy for him to – made it easy – for for teammates to find him because he got open and he found those soft spots and he finished and so that is what Matt Corona and and he battled and was tenacious and was quote unquote undersized and that battle level really helped him be effective in the offensive zone and I see a lot of that with Coronado and then Mark Savard on Friday when he sat down with us post game said he reminds him a lot of Christopher Stieg and at first I was like huh. That's an interesting comparison, mm-hmm. but I thought about it because the first thing you think about Versteeg is a really good distributor. The first thing you think about when you think about Coronado is a really good finisher in that shot. But if you separate those two things, Coronado's the natural finisher. Versteeg was more of a natural playmaker distributor, but a lot of the other things I really do see. Again, high IQ in the offensive zone, feisty and battle, and... That helps make up because Versteeg again was not a high end NHL skater. Um, he was a high end skater for the world, but yeah. NHL wise was not a high end NHL skater. And again, was able to use his smarts and use a really hard stick and and tenacity and and feistiness or whatever word you want to use. Didn't give up on pucks. Was hard to knock off pucks when he had it. That. That screams Coronado as well. He is a hard guy to knock off the puck. He's strong on his skates. He's got a really solid center of gravity. So those two comparisons, neither Versteeg nor Camilleri were burners in the NHL, but they both had themselves really strong middle six winger NHL careers. Well, and not to use an example, I'm not comparing players here, but I'm comparing the skating, if, if this makes sense. And it's a recent example. Matthew Kachuk was never the greatest skater. And still, and, and, still, and never, and will, never be. will be. Yeah. And was, if anything, in Calgary, most commonly criticized that he wasn't a great skater and didn't have a lot of speed. I can't remember who said it, Pat. It's a quote that sticks with me, and maybe you'll have it off the top of your head more than I will. I, I can't remember if it was Daryl Sutter or someone else speaking about Matthew Kachuk and, and was asked about that skating and said, well, he doesn't need to be a fast skater but he can skate. He's got enough skating ability to get himself in the right spot, right? And that's all it is. You don't need to be the fastest player in the world as long as you have enough skating ability to put yourself in those advantageous spots. Yep. That's all you need, right? And if you're smart enough to know where those are and to find those spots, like a Camilleri, like a Versteeg, like so many guys in the NHL who weren't naturally gifted McCars or McDavid's with their skating ability you can still succeed in the NHL. You don't need to, you know, for so long, you know, you always talk about pace and speed and coaches will tell you so many times, Pat, it's, that's not just based on foot speed. It's how you play the game 
and how you see the game, the speed at which you do that at can sometimes make you a quote unquote fast player. Right. And I don't think that Matt Coronado's skating ability has held him back in any way, shape or form that I've seen. And I think again, going back to, to what I just said there, as long as you've got enough skating ability to put yourself in those spots and then you can take advantage of them with that unbelievable release yep. and, and whatever other tools you have that are uh, above average as an NHLer, I think you're in a good spot. Uh, this reads, uh, does Coronado have a good one-timer to go along with that elite shot? Can they finally have a power play with a one-time threat? Um, well, it, it's it's fine. Like, it's it's solid. It's his his snap and, and his kind of shot in motion I think, and, and that deceptive release, Megan was talking on postgame on Monday night about the way that he changes the angle on his shot, and I thought that was, he was she was talking to Jason LaBarbera about it, about how he changes the angle on his shot, and Barb's was basically saying, yeah, that's what that's what the high-end shooters do, and because of that, and, and Coronado does that, so basically saying, yeah, that guy's a high-end shooter. Um, that's his biggest strength is the deceptiveness, but you, know, you watch him in college, He's got a pretty decent. Uh, he's got a pretty decent one timer when you get him in the circle. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be his primary use on the power play. The the guy who I'm really interested one timer wise at some point is Sharon Govich to see if they can unleash that a little bit on a power play, maybe on the number two unit. We'll see. Um, this says loving Coronado. When Johnny and Sean came in, they were expected to produce because they were the best players on the team. Coronado has solid veterans to rely on. Hoping he'll blossom quickly. That comes from Joseph in Calgary. And good point. I mean, Coronado is not coming in here at the beginning of a rebuild. He's coming in here with established NHL veterans, and they can insulate him a little bit more. Playing with Michael Backlund, like he, and I thought Backlund was maybe the best player on the ice. Um, playing with a guy like Backlund, as we talked about, the backland bump is real. The backland bump. Well, he makes players around him better, right? And and so Chuck Bennett, right off the top of my head, Boma Colburn. Yeah. You like you can go down down the down the Manjapani. Like you put a player with him, and he elevates you. And some of those guys, like Chuck and Manjapani, he helps them develop, and then they can go and they don't they don't need the backland bump. Matt literally bump said on Monday night. When asked about Michael, what does Michael Backlund do to make life easier Everything. for you? Everything. Yeah. He does all the little things that make it easy to play with. I have no what problem. What are you going to say with that? I have no problem. I know Vickers was was pounding the table on seeing that combination at some point, and I thought it was great on Monday. So I, I'd be all for keeping Coronado with Backlund, whether Coleman's there, whether Sharon Govich is there. That's going to be really interesting. By the way, Monday, uh, Tuesday, rather, they skated at Windsport for practice and uh, same lines for the most part as they started Monday's game with. So it was Backlund between Sharon Govich and Coronado. Uh, Coleman was with, with uh, Schwint and Walker Dewar, who didn't play against Winnipeg. But yeah, I'm as of right now, and it's, it's somewhat of a conund- conundrum's the wrong word, but somewhat of a interesting puzzle to fit all the different pieces where you want at forward and, and the way that you think is ideal, because it feels like with Coronado and with another somewhat fly in the ointment and Adam Ruzicka, who we'll get to here right away, it feels like there's 
one potential odd man out in the top nine. So here's how they worked at practice on Tuesday. Lindholm still with Huberdo and Manjapani. Kadri between Ruzicka and Dubé, like Monday night. I mentioned Backlund, Sharon Govich, Coronado. Schwint with Coleman on the left and Dewar on the right. And the extra forwards were Klapka and Hunt. So those are the forward lines. That's pretty much what they looked like in the game against Winnipeg as well. And I think Adam Ruzicka is having a hell of a camp too. I really do. And I think he had himself, uh, I thought he was one of the four or five best players on the ice in Monday's win over Winnipeg. And I like him. They they seem very, very committed to Ruzicka in the middle six as a winger and very committed to him playing on that Condry line with Dubé. Thought that line was one of their best uh, against Winnipeg, and and I thought Rizichka really impressed, and for the most part has had himself a strong camp. I think the best camp he's had yet in his in his Flames career. So now, if you keep Rizichka there and you keep Coronado on the backland line, right now it's Coleman is the odd man out in the top nine, and if that swaps, maybe it's Sharon Govich is the odd man out in the top nine. That becomes really interesting, and it's a good problem to have. If Ruzicka is playing well enough that you're like, we really want to keep him in the top nine as well. So it turns into a situation where last year we thought they were going to be a really deep team, but maybe that wasn't their strength because some certain players didn't hit the expectations you wanted. So it didn't feel like a deep team last year. Well, this year, if you've got a Ruzicka and you've got a Coronado who are proving that they need to be in this lineup every single night, well, maybe depth does become a little bit more of a strength for him. Well, I've heard some people kind of reference these current lines, and as you mentioned, the, the odd man out on the of the top nine as sort of being a problem for the Calgary Flames or something they've got to figure out. I actually look at it as a major positive, Pat. If Matt Coronado and Adam Ruzicka play well enough in training camp that they've forced your hand into giving them a top nine spot, I think that's a good thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that... Uh, you know, Blake Coleman's usage needs to go down. I'm a big Blake Coleman fan. He happens to be the guy on the outside of the top nine right now looking in. I think that you mentioned Sharon Govich. I think Dubé's an option to move around there as well. To me, it's just a good thing. I, I want these young players from the Calgary Flames to step up and make my life difficult. I don't want to to have to, you know, push and, and keep bringing in veteran guys to fill in those spots and Look, Craig made a promise, I don't know, a promise, but a pretty clear statement that he didn't want to bring in PTOs and he wanted to give the young guys every, every, the young guys have stepped up, specifically those two that we've talked about. And who knows what it's like if Jacob Pelche doesn't get injured as well and where he fits into this. I think this is not a bad thing whatsoever. I mean, how long have we waited for Adam Ruzichka to pop? And it looks like he's starting to figure things out. Matt Coronado came in with a lot of expectations. He's met all those expectations. Yeah. And he's probably put some overboard. That's a good thing in my mind. Well, and if what has happened before with Adam happens again, and he all of a sudden, back, yeah. and, and consistency becomes a problem, well, then you've got a Blake Coleman or a Yegor Sharon Govich or Dylan Dubé or any other name. That you, but yep. now you have other options to put in these spots. And so I think it's a good thing. I don't think, 
I don't think it's a bad thing if you've got Blake Coleman on your quote-unquote fourth line if if you're talking about him playing with Dewar and, and whether it's Schwint or Zeri or anybody else who ends up as that 4C and Coleman's so important on their penalty kill He's and, and if they're playing their fourth line as a more non-traditional fourth line that yep. gets 11 or 12 minutes a night, well then... With his penalty kill, he's still getting his 14, 15 minutes a night and 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 is still a really important, effective player of this on this team. And I'm just using Coleman's name right now. I'm a huge Blake fan, and they can put him back with Michael Backlund anytime they want, and sure. you know it'll be a glove-like fit. But if that is the way it starts and Blake is quote-unquote on the fourth line, I don't think that that is a... Slap in the face. I don't think that that is a um, anything detrimental to the team. I think it's a product of hey, they've got a pretty deep team. Blake's a team player, and he's effective wherever he plays up and down the lineup. So I I don't see it as a problem right now if you've got a lot of forwards pushing to be in this top nine. Well, I mean, if you're into the Calgary Flames and you're looking at it, when's Blake Coleman been his most effective in the NHL? I'd argue it was in a bottom six role with the Tampa Bay Lightning, forming one of the best checking lines that the NHL seen in the last five, six years with Yanni Gord and Barclay Goodrow. Would you not want to try to recreate something similar to that in your usage of a fourth line as a, you know, checking slash offensive unit as well? I, I think that'd be a pretty good thing to have actually. And I think that would give you some mismatches because I don't think a lot of teams can put out a guy like a Blake Coleman in their bottom six or in their fourth line, if you really want to call it that. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you liked to Okay. I know we're going to uh, daily flames round table in just minutes. Uh, I know Wilsey not on the same page, which is fair. And I even, I get it because Ruzicka at times, even when he's playing well, you, I think part of it is because of the history and the reputation, but sometimes you watch him play, you're like, is that guy? Is that guy going? Is that guy going at a hundred? Like, is that? And I know it's the preseason, so a lot Adding of guys aren't. That, yeah, but he should be. He's not a full. He's not a bona fide full time NHLer yet. Um, but I think that's just the nature of how he plays. I always go back to: Did Jay Bomeister look like he was breaking a sweat at any point? Nope. No. But he was never dogging it. Some. It's just sometimes the way, the way a guy's style is looks that way. But. Because of the inconsistencies Rizichka's had, and because you see all of the raw tools, and you're like, damn, this guy could be so good. I think sometimes I understand why he leaves you wanting more. Trying to separate myself from that reputation, though, I think he's had a hell of a camp. And and I think he, on merit, much like Coronado, on merit, I think he deserves to be on this opening night lineup or in this opening night lineup. I really do. Uh, I am with you on most of that. I would say How that. Dare you. How dare you not I agree know. with it's, me? It's on your birthday, too. What a yeah. absolute beating. I must be agreed How with. How could you? Um, I do think he's had a great camp. Uh, I have been incredibly impressed with him. I think we we're starting to see exactly what we've wanted to see from him. And yes, he does he play the flashiest game or the most noticeable game? No. But I, I think you're starting to see what some of those tools can do when he puts it together uh, on a consistent basis. He has not made the team in my mind because of those consistency issues. And he's a guy that, to me, has to show out in whatever preseason action he has left. I think it needs to. And I'm not saying that that, that one game sways the decision for me one way or another. But I, I think the coaching staff and I think the expectation for Adam is that you have to continue this. You can't 
Agreed on that front. You can't fall off the map here so close to the end. And that's, that's the only reason I would hesitate to say that he's earned a spot, that he's got a spot on the team. I think he's earning a spot for sure. But that consistency, and that's the one thing that, that Ryan Husk has brought up a lot with him and all the young guys, to be fair, it's not just, not just Adam. It's a young player thing as well, that he's got to be consistent. And I think whether it's Wednesday and Friday that we still see him or it's one of the two, uh, just continue to do what he's done, and he's well on his way to being on the NHL roster. Pat Logan with you. This hour of Flames Talk is underway. Tune into the Sportsnet Radio Friday Soccer Report brought to you by Casiero Del Diablo Wines and the Way to Be a Legend contest, the chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime trip to England for the ultimate Manchester United experience, including a chance to play a football game at Old Trafford where Man U legends will make an appearance. No purchase necessary. Conditions apply. Must be legal drinking age. Casiero Del Diablo available at the AGLC. Please enjoy responsibly. Enter in-store or visit CassieroManchester.com. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's Hockey Station. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this Tuesday edition of the program continues. Steinberg and Logo along with you. And now the Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The 2023 Mercedes-Benz EQE350 SUV blends futuristic tech with plush luxury for $449 bi-weekly. Get yours today at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. And to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable, as always, the voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, joins us right now. And gents, want to continue the conversation we had uh, just before starting the roundtable. And also, Willsie, the, the conversation that we had a little bit on Monday night following that 5-4 win over the Winnipeg Jets in preseason game number six. I just want to pick up on on the Adam Rizicka conversation because I, I'm really interested as to where this goes. Two more preseason games to go against really good lineups we're expecting in both Edmonton and Vancouver. And that still is going to be a test for Adam and, and an evaluation for Adam. I think he's had a really good camp. I also understand that he has been a really frustrating player to watch over the last couple of years. So knowing all of what we've seen this camp and, and just knowing all of what we believe this lineup should look like, where, where does a guy like Adam fit best? And is he, is, is that in the opening day lineup? I'm curious where we all are on that. Well, for me, the second question's uh, an easy one to answer. He's definitely on the opening day roster. He's definitely in the opening night lineup. Uh, I guess the more difficult question, at least for me to answer, is who does he play with? Where does he play? And, yeah, he's had a strong preseason. He's looked a lot more like the guy who we saw put up 20 points in the first 25 games that he played than the guy who we saw put up zero points in the last 19 games that he played last season. But uh, even listening to what head coach Ryan Huska has said throughout training camp in the preseason, there have still been some inconsistencies with Adam's game. He has such an intriguing skill set. He's got the size, he's got the skill, and when he's at his best, he, he is a top six or at least top nine power forward, and those guys don't grow on trees. So if he can play more consistently this season, that's going to be really big for the Flames, but that's the key. He's got to play more consistently. Where does he fit best? It's a tough question for me to answer, Pat, because I don't like having Blake Coleman on the fourth line. I don't. I think him and Michael Backlund are a really 
terrific twosome together. You can play those two guys against the other team's top line, and you can feel really good about it. And who knows, maybe Matt Coronado becomes the, the third member of that group if Backlund and Coleman do get reunited. And you know, Coronado could add some scoring touch to that line. But you know, right now they've got Igor Sharangovich playing the left side of that line with Michael Backlund and Matthew Coronado. And I like those three guys together last night. The fourth line, really, for me, is the one where I have I have big questions right now. And if you had Jacob Pelche and if you had Kevin Rooney, uh, I think it would probably be a lot more clear-cut. For me, Rooney was the front-runner to be fourth-line center. And I think if you were to put him in a line between Adam Rzitska on the left and Walker Dewar on the right, that line could give you some really good minutes and probably be the better of the, the two four lines in a lot of games. But... I still don't think Ruzicka deserves to be ahead uh, of Coleman uh, in the lineup. I think he deserves to be in, but I would probably start him on the fourth line and uh, see if I can get some uh, matchup uh, issues created with that. Yeah, for me, I I think Adam Ruzicka is at his most effective, guys, when he's in that top nine role. I I worry about putting him in a fourth line spot and him going perhaps back to that player that we've seen at times be less dialed in, less consistent on a day-to-day basis. And I think the key here is is the versatility of Blake Coleman is at this point probably as much his friend as his adversary in this conversation because you can sort of play him up and down your lineup and kind of go with the flow as to right now, Adam Rizicu looks like he's going really well with Kadri and Dubé. So I'd be hard-pressed to, to move off of that knowing that I want a young player who has all these tools to continue on this path that he's on to eventually hopefully being a longtime member of the Calgary Flames and maybe a longtime member of that line. So I think it's more unfortunate timing than anything with, with Blake Coleman as far as his spot in the top nine because of Ruzicka and let's be honest, because of Matt Coronado and what he's done and what yeah. he brings to the table. I, I For me, yes, I think Adam's done everything he can to, to make an NHL roster this time, guys, but... For me, if, if we're going to talk about Adam Rzichka being an NHLer, for me, he looks most dialed in when he's in a top nine position playing with, with regular NHLers. I'm just not sure how he approaches the game the same way if it's in the fourth line spot. It's um, it's one of those conversations where I, I still have not fully made up my mind only because I want to see him in these last two games. I want to see him play with... Kadri again and Dubé again against a good Oilers lineup and against a good Canucks lineup because be, because of Derek what you talked about because of the consistency issues that have plagued him throughout his career I want to see in in two difficult games against two good lineups if he can continue being the guy that he's been so far in camp. I really like this camp. I think this is the best camp that we've ever seen him have, and and it's it's very very encouraging. But I still want to see it a couple more times, and you know the that then it comes the regular season, and then you got to do it on a regular basis when the games matter for real. I don't I don't have a problem for the time being having a player like Coleman or even a player like Sharon Govich playing on that quote-unquote fourth line. I guess it is their fourth line. We don't know who that number four center is going to be, and we'll talk about that in a second. But if you're, just just for instance, if it continues to work really well with Ruzicka on that line and having Backlund and Coronado together is working well and you do need to put either a Sharon Govich or a Coleman with that fourth unit, well, the good news is 
it's not necessarily going to be the traditional fourth line that's only playing eight minutes a night. I think you're talking about that line because Dewar's effective, because whoever the left wing there would be effective. I think you're seeing them play more five-on-five minutes, and both Sharon Govich and Coleman touch the penalty kill significantly, and that's going to get their minutes pretty close to what they're used to. So I don't think it's all that much of an issue if you have one of those guys for a period of time on that fourth line. It's more exploitation of the thing that we believe will be Calgary's biggest strength at forward, and that's their depth. And if you can flex your depth a little bit, and that means because of Coronado and because of Ruzichka are playing really well, and you have to have an established veteran on your fourth line, I don't think that's a problem. I think that's a good thing to have. And then you also have the benefit if the consistency issues catch up with Adam in November or December. Or if Matt Coronado hits a wall and it's like, ah, you know what, maybe back to the American League to finish the year is the way it has to go. Who knows? Then you still have options because you still have that guy that you're very comfortable popping onto a different line. So I, I don't, uh, I, I don't see it as a big time problem. I think it's a nice thing. It's a nice problem to have if it's a problem at all. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And I don't think the Flames are going to have what I would call a traditional fourth line with Trevor Lewis, Milan Lucic, Brett Ritchie types. I think they're going to try to model themselves after the defending Stanley Cup champion Golden Knights, where, yeah, they don't have the high-end talent that some other teams have. Uh, they don't have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl or Nathan McKinnon and Mikko Randon and Kale McCarr, but they are deep and they are balanced and they roll four lines and three pairings and that's how they beat you. That's how I think the Flames are going to have to beat teams, especially teams like the Oilers, who they're going to play four times in the regular season and who knows, maybe even in the postseason again. And uh, I understand what you're saying, Logan, where coaches have to put their players in a position to succeed, but is putting Yegor Sharangovich on the fourth line putting him in a position to succeed? I would say no, because he's been most effective when playing top six minutes and more specifically when playing with Jack Hughes. So, you just traded your leading goal scorer and top point producer to get this guy. I think you want to put Sharon Govich in a position to succeed too. And yeah, Blake Coleman does offer the flexibility of being able to play up and down your lineup, play on either side. But we're talking about a two-time Stanley Cup champion, a two-time 20 goal scorer, a guy who had 18 goals and 38 points last season, a guy who forms a really good duo with Michael Backlund, two guys that can shut down the other team's top line so I don't necessarily think that going out of your way to put Adam Rashitska in a spot is fair if that means Blake Coleman's going to be playing in a spot that he doesn't deserve to play in. So, hey, listen, Adam Rashitska having a strong training camp in preseason is only good for him and only good for the Flames. And I think one area where his game can grow is when he's not scoring goals and producing points, which he has shown the ability to do, Uh, Again, 20 points in the first 25 games last season, playing primarily on the first line. He has to be able to impact games when he's not scoring goals and producing points. I think that's the next step for him. I think he has the tools to do it. And we'll have to wait and see what the coaches decide to do as far as line combinations. They do have some options, but again, I come back to that fourth line, guys. I'm struggling with how that's going to look come October 11th. If Jacob Pelche was available and Kevin Rooney was available. You know, you've got Walker Dewar on the right, but I don't know who plays center on that line. And 
left wing spots probably a little bit easier to figure out, but that's kind of the one group I'm struggling with is we get deeper into the preseason here. The the last thing that I'd say before we move into that is what's what is a better fit? And I'm not saying this is I asked this openly, not not knowing the answer, but what's a better fit? Coleman with his versatility on a quote unquote fourth line or Ruzichka on a fourth line. And then the other side of that would be what's better. And then the, the flip side being having Coleman in the top nine or Ruzichka in the top nine. Like if there's one guy that can do it better, then I think that you have your answer. If Ruzichka can go and be an effective fourth line guy, then it's a little bit easier. I just am still a little more skeptical of that myself too, um, which is some, it, it can be frustrating at times. So you're like, well, why, why doesn't it work as, as a number four C? I get that. I'm just, I'm just trying to think about what are the best line combinations and the best setup to utilize yeah. Calgary's depth effectively. And that's why I'm really interested in these last two lines. Cause Derek, it could very well be that guy. I think that pretty good chance Wednesday in Edmonton, we see Adam back with, uh, with, with Kadri and Dubé. And if all of a sudden that gets exposed and he has a rough game, well, I think it's a little bit of a different conversation because then we're having the same conversations about him that we've had. So that's why I, I still jury remains out for me as much as I've liked Adam so far in camp. I still think there's two important games here that need to be figured out. And I don't think you have a super long leash come the yeah. regular season either. And I shouldn't make this all about Blake Coleman versus Adam Rajitska because that isn't necessarily what it's going to boil down to. Ultimately, when I talk about Blake Coleman, I don't think that he's a fourth-line player. And I guess it depends on what you want from your middle six. Are, are you looking for lines that can score goals? Well, obviously, you want your, your middle six to contribute offensively. But, but when I look at the duo of Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman, yeah, you want some offense from those guys. You need some offense from those guys. But they're also the two guys who are given – the responsibility of going up against Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon on a regular basis. So I just don't like breaking up those two guys, but Hey, if the flames decide to leave Adam Ruzitska on a line with Nazem Kadri and Dylan Dubé, that could be a really difficult group to play against. All three guys bring physicality. All three guys can skate and get in the four check and create some havoc. So I, I do think that there's some potential with that line. I guess it's, kind of the, the trickle-down effect, the domino effect of what putting Rajitska in that spot does that uh, maybe I'm having more of an issue mm -hmm. with. But uh, to your point, you said it earlier, Pat, it's a good problem to have. The fact that Adams had a strong training camp in preseason uh, has created this conversation. If uh, he looked more like the guy who didn't pick up a point and was invisible on a lot of nights in the back half of last season, we wouldn't be talking about him, would yeah. we? No, 100%. Uh, Derek, Logan, Pat, Daily Flames Roundtable. So, Let's transition right into it. It's somewhat related. So with Rooney out, and we don't think he'll be back to start the regular season, um, should, we could, we'll probably find that out come, uh, come this week. With him not in the mix, who is the best fit as the number four center right now? I don't know. I don't. Uh, I think the Flames are trying to figure that out too. I mean, they gave Cole Schwint, who they picked up in the Matthew Kachuk trade, an opportunity last night. I think you guys would agree. I think you guys would agree. Uh, it was a tough night for the fourth line. So I don't know if that audition went as well as they were hoping that it would. And that's not all on Schwint. Don't get me wrong. But 
I do wonder if he is potentially their best option. Uh, Dryden Hunt, for me, is still an option, and I didn't think he had a great night last night, but I can't discount what he's done mm-hmm. prior to last night. I think he's had a really strong training camp in preseason. But with that said, I chatted with him yesterday, guys, and he told me he's more comfortable playing on the wing than he is at center. And when I think about the Flames' new defensive zone coverage and how they're going from man-on-man to zone and how much more responsibility that puts on the centerman, I think you want to have someone who's comfortable playing that position in that spot. So I didn't think that losing Kevin Rooney would potentially be as big a deal as it is because I think he was the guy that was penciled in in that spot. A veteran centerman who's on a one-way contract who, for whatever reason, wound up in Daryl Sutter's doghouse last season, got sent down, and we never saw him again. But I, I think you're right, Pat. I don't think he's going to be available to start the season. This is a question that the Flames are going to have to answer. I do wonder about Connor Zeri, but looking at the lines from practice today, I'm not sure he's in the mix. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe we'll see him uh, play fourth-line center in one of the last two preseason games. And I wouldn't mind seeing him because I think he's had a pretty good training camp in preseason. And if you're looking for a fourth line that can give you some good minutes, play with energy, and also chip in offensively, having him centering Walker Dewar on one side and another good player, whether that be Adam Rzitska or Blake Coleman or whoever on the other side, I think you get get some really good minutes from that line. Um, But do you want to put that type of responsibility on Zeri's plate at this stage of his career? So, guys, I hate to, to not answer the question. I just, quite frankly... Don't know what the right answer is at this point. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, I'll agree with Derek on on Monday. I didn't think that Cole Schwint had his best outing, but back at practice today didn't seem as though the lines were were going to change. I would probably lean to to see Connor Zary, given the the first-round pedigree, given the fact that he had a strong year of pro hockey last year, 58 points in 72 games with the Calgary Wranglers, and I think that there's a potential there right now with you know, Walker Dewar being a very solid guy that he would be familiar with from his time in Calgary with the Wranglers and uh, potentially having a veteran like we've talked about here on this conversation, guys, like a, a Blake Coleman or someone similar that can help sort of aid in the defensive zone that uh, is going to be a little bit more inexperienced with either one of those guys. It sure feels like it's it's between a Schwint or a Zary right now for me, Pat, um, just given what Dryden said to to, to Derek yesterday and given the fact that as of right now, Adam Ruzicka's made a case for himself on a winger spot, and then we haven't seen very much of him at center uh, going forward in this training camp. So I think right now, until we see Kevin Rooney back and, and healthy and on the ice again, we're talking about a battle between two young prospects in the Flames system to see who can yeah. make that jump and, and take some of those minutes. Yeah, the fact that we haven't, even with Rooney's injury now, haven't seen them move Rizicka to that number four C spot and see it, try him there. Leads me to believe they're quite committed to seeing if they can make it work in a top nine role for him. Um, and that, yeah, that leaves Schwint and Zary. I'd like to see Zary in one more preseason game. Uh, they've got two left against good lineups on the road. I'd like to see Schwint in one and Zary in the other. And, and then you've got 
a good book on on both going into your final decisions. Now, uh, as you mentioned, Zeri was not part of the first group of skaters on Tuesday morning at Windsport. Schwint was. Schwint was centering Coleman and Dewar. Hunt and Klapka were the extra forwards. So Schwint maybe has the leg up because he's the one practicing with the veteran heavy group. I'd like to see Zeri for one more preseason game, though, and then... Mm-hmm. And then maybe have a little bit more of a body of work on everybody to come to a decision. But yeah, I, I think it's I think it's going to be one of those young players to start the year. And when Rooney's healthy, I think he gets that opportunity. Based on the fact I'm with you, Derek, he was probably the guy prior to the injury. Yeah, and uh, again, I'm I'm surprised that we're sitting here talking about Kevin Rooney being such a big loss, but uh, I think it's just com- compounded by the fact that you've also lost Jacob Pelche and another guy who you had penciled in to your top nine. And I do wonder if they're just giving Dryden Hunt a break. He's played a lot of hockey so far in the preseason, so maybe we do see him in the, the preseason finale versus the Canucks, but it's fascinating. And to, to kind of come full circle, I think as much as I'd hate to break up Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman, if you were to put Connor Zeri in that spot as your fourth-line centerman on a line with Walker Duher, then I, in my mind, could justify slotting Blake Coleman onto the left side of that line. The, his veteran presence, his 200-foot game, I think he would really help a young centerman in Zeri. I, I think Duer's going to be just fine. I like his 200-foot game. I like his physicality. I think he can chip in offensively. Uh, I'm not worried about that spot on the right side of the fourth line. But if you were to give Zeri a chance to be your fourth-line centerman, then I think having a guy like Coleman there on his left could really help him. So maybe that's how it all plays out. We'll have to wait and see. Fun. There's lots of good conversations going into the final two preseason games of 2023. We are 75% done the preseason schedule and lots still to decide. Great stuff, Derek. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you on Thursday. No Flames talk uh, per usual on Wednesday, so we'll do it again on Thursday. Okay, talk then. Thanks, Wilsey. Derek Wills, Logan Gordon, Pat Steinberg, and we start to wrap up this hour. Thanks to Cam and Taylor, our outstanding producers, and we wrap up with our Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Book a service appointment to select rims, have them put on before the snow falls, and enjoy the bistro while you wait at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills.